Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community and a place where we delve into all sorts of improv topics. And today, I'm very excited to tell you that our guest is the fantastic Andy L. Sudik. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're even available on Amazon Podcasts, which means that you can ask Alexa to play the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. And now it's time to go off script and find out Andy L's true story about making stuff up. And please welcome this week's guest. It's Andy L. Hello. Thank you. I'm so happy that we can finally make this interview happen. I know. I'm. Thank you so much for being so uh, flexible. <laughs> I was going through all of our emails to find the link today, and there were like five different attempts. So I'm glad we finally made it work. <laughs> so I'm going to jump straight into things with the chat. And I, I know that you are big in the improv world and you've done loads of great things but I don't know where did it all begin how did you get into improv um so I got into improv uh I started doing it technically in high school um I came from like my parents did theater and so I always did theater and then I found improvisation when I was like 15 I was like oh wow that's cool um and my dad had done theater in Chicago and we had visited him when I was like eight and watched him do singing in the rain and i was like this city's magic and so i knew that i wanted to get back to chicago and so i moved there right after high school and started improvising at io oh wow yeah so were you just focusing on the improv or were you doing other types of acting sort of alongside it oh i just got totally sucked in i feel like i can do one thing at a time and so <laughs> i moved to chicago actually to go to columbia college for a theater degree got all of my classes set up and then a week before classes started i quit um and just <laughs> did improv until like i did uh improv for like two years got hired by a social issues children's theater so that's like the theater that i did um, and toured a little bit doing like um, shows for kids. And then I got hired by Second City. And from then it was like sketch and improv almost totally for a long time. Oh, wow. So let's talk about that then, because, you know, improv here in the UK is very different in terms of the mm -hmm. setup. So what, what is the setup of the Second City and, and how does it all work? Ooh, what do you mean? <laughs> so, as like as an institution yeah. does it run similarly to the way a, a college runs or is it kind of its own thing oh so um like the theaters at least when i was coming up so i came up in the early 2000s um i took classes at io and so it was i think six levels and you know we were learning long form specifically the herald so each level you like learned more or delved deeper um i of course interned to pay for my classes because i was 18 years old <laughs> and worked at the gap um and then um you start performing so i started performing long form and then at second city um i got hired to understudy the tour co 
And so what you do there um, is you learn archival material and you do sketch shows and you do a little bit of your own writing. And then improv, at least at the time there, was used more as a tool to create sketch. It's definitely expanded more, like even in the first couple of years where we were doing it a lot more as performance. Um, but yeah, it's like, there's Second City, the way the training center runs um, is there's like the basic levels, which are like, you don't necessarily want to be a performer, but you want to learn how to improvise, maybe meet some people, learn the skills, maybe just for communication. And then there's the conservatory that is more geared towards like, okay, do, do you want to learn how to do this um, to be a writer or an actor or some sort of content creator? Okay, cool. So over the summer, you were running um, sketch courses at Liverpool Comedy Improv. Yeah. I just want to talk to you a bit about that. First of all, how did that come about? So last year, so during the pandemic completely, like, you know, did a left turn on all performance that was live, at least for me in the States. It was like, oh, everything was shut down. Before the pandemic, I had been traveling and teaching. Uh, and about a, a month or two into teaching online, I was like, oh, I think this thing's going to last a while. And I don't think I want to be looking at it. I don't think I can sustain myself artistically or my soul or anything like looking at a computer. Um, some people found it, uh, found improv through that. And I'm so grateful. But for me, I was just I couldn't I couldn't do that or see myself doing that full time. So I took the year off and I uh, did charity work in Scotland, in Inverness, cool. um, which was so cool and a totally different thing that I've ever done or that I would ever do. Um, and then at the end of that year, it had been really good, but really hard for me. And so I wanted to give myself like a little treat before I came back to the States. So I just Googled places so like, ooh, Liverpool looks cool. <laughs> And so I stayed there for a month um, and met Emma in person, um, who I had met online and kind of fell in love with the city and was like, I, I know that I want to come back here. I would love to try to teach a longer course um, in the UK or in, in Europe. And it just seemed like the perfect marriage of that. So then almost a year later, kind of like put that in motion and came back and did that this year. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to me that you stepped away from improv f for the pandemic period, because for me, I I relied so heavily on the online improv to get through it. Yeah. And I feel like it, it was uh, for like the people I've talked to, it was like one or the other, like some people really found like that connection or community. And there were definitely aspects of it. Like I ran a couple courses and I started doing one-on-ones in the pandemic, which I never, I mean, I would very rarely do in person because it's so much like you have to get to the place and well, like all of the little things, but being able to do it at home, I got to meet with so many people in different cities that I would never get to meet with. So like in some ways I, like I did find an aspect of it that really clicked for me. And it was really cool for me to like check in on the communities that I knew and see them like growing and thriving. And that can like that connective thing that we missed so much, like being able to find it in any way during the pandemic was so cool. Yeah, I mean, I personally gained so much from it because yeah. I actually found, I, I discovered my fiance at LCI online. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's wild. That's incredible. Yeah. And my improv troupe, we formed online at, yeah. at Liverpool Comedy Improv and the Oikas you saw us perform. Well, and was it like you had performed only online up in like for a couple of years or what was the kind of progression of that? Yeah. So basically during the pandemic, there was like a steady constant group of us that would come into LCI online. And then yeah. Emma started to run some intermediate level courses that we could sign up to and they were like eight week blocks. And it, okay. we were a group that had already been regularly performing every week at the drop-ins. And then we just formed this group and we did like, I think three consecutive blocks back to back because we did oh, the wow. first one and we were like, oh, we really love it. Can we continue? And each block ended with an online performance. And there was one or two changes in personnel with each, yeah. each block, but the, like, the core of us were the same. And then after the, the third sort of block of courses, we were like, oh, we, we want to do another one. We don't want it to stop. And Emma just kind of said, well, it doesn't have to stop, but equally, you don't need me. You're basically yeah. a troop now, guys. You can just be a yeah. troop. So <laughs> we became a troop and we still, to this day, most of our rehearsals are online. We meet every other week online and Great. we meet occasionally in person and we just arrange gigs where we can and um so it's all because of the pandemic it's crazy it's so great and i feel like too like access wise potentially that opened up so many doors for people where it's like i might not be able to travel in you know to come to one rehearsal but i can meet online and then we can still keep that connection and that like rehearsal going that's really cool yeah, and so my fiance Seki, she was one of the co-founders of Glossop Improv uh, with her friend Jess, and Glossop Improv has gone back to in-person stuff, but Seki and I keep the online stuff going because the online community of Glossop Improv is this great international bunch that we didn't want to lose. So every other week, Seki and I still do the online Glossop stuff. To, so Glossop's now got an online presence as well as a, an in-person presence. That's so great. Did you find that transition? How did you find that transition um, when it was like all online to start opening up? Was it challenging to keep the online going or was it seamless? Um, it's not been a major issue. The only difference was there were lots of people that were regulars online that just didn't want the online anymore. But yeah. there was like a whole new group of people that were still seeking online that I'd lost some of the regular ones they were doing because people had gone back to in-person. Yeah. So then it's like, we oh, cool. we got a new group because there were still people interested in online. So they yeah. would have to seek it out. Oh, cool. Yeah, a little bit of like navigation and like switching, like, yeah, switching in and out. That's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. So there is still a, a bit of a thriving um, scene online and um, yeah. it, it's, it pulls together different types of people so yeah and that like yeah like i said that was the coolest part of being able to like be sitting in my apartment in california meeting with people in bangalore india um is just like the most magical thing in the world like i would never it, it would take a, a flight and a lot a lot of legwork to get there <laughs> yeah um, well, but we can show up even if it's just going to a local session it's still the travel involved you know you're gonna get home from from your day job 
get in the car or get on a bus or a train, get to where you're going, have the fun and then get your way back home. So even then it's, it's great to just say, Oh, great. It's just two hours. And I'm, and then I'm at home already. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I don't know, um, just like social anxiety wise or that like stuff still going on in general that always exists in people, but specifically that I've been noticing in myself since I've been going back to in-person stuff, like having that ability to occasionally to bridge the gap of like, I might not be able to like hype myself up to get out of the house, but I can hype myself up to open up my computer screen, which I think is huge. Um, yeah, yeah. Barrier I think the ability to just turn your camera off was such a great feature for so many people that if they got overwhelmed, just turn the camera off. I'm just going to be here and enjoy it, but I'm not going to be involved. I, it's harder yeah. to, it's harder to do that in person. I know you can take a step back in person, but you're still in the room. People can still see it. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's it's such an interesting thing to you now at this point to be looking at like what what have I gained, what have I lost, what do I love about online, what do I love about in person? Because now they can live together in a cool way of like the kind of yeah the the, the positives of of one and the positives of the other are like ooh I like these two things together. Let's keep them going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with this sketch course that you were running at LCI, is there like a standard formula? that that you do it's like a oh, week one is going to be this week two is going to be this or does it change depending on the group that you're working with yeah i think every i i mean as a teacher ideally everything is always flexible like you come in with your plan and ideally um you're able to be flexible when stuff goes wrong um or you yeah just find yourself in the middle of something you're like oopsie um and you can pull back and reset (laughs) um this one in particular i was really excited about um trying to run it differently so like i i write i run writing courses that are straight like writing um but i really wanted to focus on improvisation as a tool and so to take like the writing and the format element out of it Because I think while those things are very like comfortable, sometimes those forms get in the way of discovery and what we can really create when we collaborate. And so I tried running this one a little bit differently and some things really worked. And I would say some things really didn't. And it was a great learning for me. And I think a a pretty solid learning. So do you build build sketches? from an improv scene you just do you just do some sort of pancake scenes or whatever and then just say hey there's an idea let's build on that is how it works you can do that you can do it that way and then also coming in with a seed of an idea and opening it up so i think like focus it's usually better to be a little bit more focused when you're trying to create sketch comedy i think it's those two things hand in hand so some free improvisation um built off of a theme maybe so that there's still something that you know you're exploring um and then also like hey i have this idea don't really know how it works can we play can we mess around with it and then through like improvising in front of the group or just like riffing so just like chatting with the other person you're gonna build those things that you would clean up if you started writing it like those natural responses that you would usually edit out are usually the funniest part. So like 
then you add in the structure and the writing and if you want a certain amount of laughs or you're looking for jokes um but yeah organically based off of ideas sometimes from yourself sometimes from the ensemble oh cool so when you when you were younger and you were first getting into it and, and you went off to study it what was it a case of you had someone that was teaching you the the improv just the improv and someone that was teaching you the sketch just the sketch stuff or or was it like one person would teach both of those things so i so io which is where i first started is just improvisation and so that's my heart is like just long form improvisation done really well so it's artistic pieces of theater on stage um spontaneous theater um, and then at Second City, I actually didn't take classes there. I got hired to the touring company. So I just learned by fire. It was like, great, we're writing a Christmas show. Bring in your pitches or bring in your scripts. And so I kind of had to learn how to do that on my own. Um, and then some directors like uh, can, you know, like are really great at shaping or giving that like feedback. So that's kind of how I learned sketch writing is through working with directors or cast. I had amazing cast members who were like bringing in this amazing stuff. And I was like this 20 year old being like, oh, I'm just funny, right? This is good, I'm just funny. And they would bring in these things. And so trying to figure out like what in that worked. Um, and then later as I started teaching, um, I would teach sketch. And so at Second City, there's a writing program so there's one if you just want to write and you're not interested in performing. And then there's the conservatory and that is teaches the second city style, which is you write for yourself. So you're writing for yourself and the ensemble um, with the idea that you're going to be performing it on stage. So it's trying to really learn your voice um, as well as give gifts to the ensemble. And so that's kind of what I like the most is that like personal what is the thing only you can write, only you can say, um, and how can you bring that out um, and, and play with that? Cool. Now, I've heard of, of a lot of the, the different American improv institutions that are dotted around, but mm -hmm. I hear about it from improv people. So I'm interested to know how mainstream is it in America? Like, how mainstream is improv? How easy is it to access? how available is it in terms of shows that are, are happening um well i think everything is different post pandemic so that's a huge disclaimer of like could be totally different now <laughs> um uh america is so big that i think it is still depends on specifically where you are the like hubs of chicago and los angeles and new york um there's a decent amount and it's pretty well known a lot of writers in LA, I think, took improv classes because you'll get a lot of like B story threads on TV shows where it's like improv and you're like, oh boy. <laughs> and it's never, it's always like a little bit um, winky, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so it's, I, I would say it's still not it's more mainstream i would say than probably over here it's definitely grown in the past like five years or ten years now um in europe and uk much more um but like it's accessible and it's well known enough and i think it's still growing um and the major cities is like you can you can do and see a decent amount does that make cool. sense yeah yeah it does yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> See, long form improv to me, I still think it's relatively new in my life. It, yeah. I wasn't really aware of it before the pandemic. To me, improv was short form when I was young. Yeah. It, when I was going to drama workshops, lots of our warm ups would be short form improv based games. And Who Slines It Anyway was on telly when I was younger and I was obsessed with it. It was the British version up to a point and then the American version um, came in once the British version stopped showing. And I, I've always been obsessed with that show and, and just the short yeah. form games. And that was improv to me. And then like the pandemic came along and the whole improv world went online and really exploded. And all of a sudden I was like, what? There's so much more to improv than I possibly ever knew. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think the reason that short form is the most well known and the most done in, in for profit places is because there's built in safety, right? Like there's these things where it's like, first of all, nothing's going to last more than five minutes. So you're good. <laughs> Second of all, each game has a built in like, thing so you're improvising but there's also like the joy and the inclusion of the audience knowing some of the things that you're doing right yeah. so there's that like that engagement um so i think it's more uh it's an easier bet right like it's easier to be like well i for sure know what this is going to be and i know like kind of the flow of it i think long form like anything there's like so much there's so many different varieties. There's so much bad long form too. So I think people will see bad long form or student long form and get like, oh, is that, oh, that's what it is. Um, and kind of like put it, put it on a shelf or, or put it somewhere else. But when you've seen like beautiful long form or theatrical long form, um, and I think that's the difference of like getting to be in Chicago when I was, there was so, so much long form done that I got to see so much of it that, yeah, I, I got to see bad. I got to do a ton of bad long form. Um, but I also got to see like the beauty and the magic of when it works and it weaves together and kind of learn from the best teachers of what those things are. Um, I noticed like, it's still like, it still really is like, you don't know what you're going to get because it's improvisation. So I think that is like a weird thing to be like, I don't know, to sell. I think that's where it becomes an issue is like to sell it. Um, it's a harder sell. Um, I see now, at least on this trip or where I've been, um, there's like narrative long form is pretty popular, but again, that's like more um, story-based or there's gonna be an arc or a style um, to protect it. Yeah. I've been involved in sort of booking a few shows recently and I still find that my in is Who's Lines It Anyway. I'll say, it's just like Who's Lines It Anyway. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that show. Yeah. Well, cause you are, you're looking for that thing of like, I know once I get you in the door, you're gonna have a good time. That's how I usually feel like when I'm doing shows at least, where it's like, yeah. if I can get you in the seat, I know what I'm doing, but I gotta get you in that seat. And that's the hardest part for me to like, contextualize for myself <laughs> like, you know what I mean of like how yeah. do I describe this yeah in any way other than like it's magic <laughs> <laughs> and as much as much as I love whose lines it anyway I I interviewed Laura Hall earlier this year on the show oh, yeah and she pointed out the fact that when they film the episodes of whose line they film a lot of stuff yeah and the stuff that makes it on telly is 
the best of it. <laughs> and she's, sure, yeah. So so everyone that watches it thinks all of those improvisers always hit it like yeah. home run every single time. And she's like, no, that's not the case. Like there's lots of stuff that isn't always great. It just doesn't make it to air. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, it, which makes total sense. Yeah, you're gonna put your best stuff out there, but then it does like create this like <laughs> in, in understanding or, yeah. Um, so when you were working with uh, members of Liverpool Comedy Improv community mm -hmm. on the, the sketch stuff, I'm interested to know if their approach is different to what you might get in America, like their ideas. Is it very different working with, with people in different countries or are people sort of fundamentally the same? <laughs> That's like <laughs> such a big question. I don't know that I can answer it in any way. Um, certainly not um, satisfactorily. Um, every place is different. Every person's different. I think it comes more down to individual. Also, like when I'm coming in or when any teacher is coming in, it, their experience is going to be filtered through how they set up the room or the pitching. So like if I'm setting up what the class is or how things are done, that's going to impact the things that are pitched or the ideas um, or, or the way that we get to them as much as the people will, which I think is actually a really good reminder for teachers and directors is like, you really do have, you do shape you shape the room um, and you shape what is allowed to get through um, for better or for worse. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, um, what did I notice? Um, I mean, it was such a specific group of people. Um, we didn't have enough time is how I always feel, but I definitely felt it this time. Um, some of my favorite stuff that happen was like in the bar after or on break moments where people got to just be themselves and that's when like the i think like the most satisfying stuff gets done or gets pitched is when people aren't worrying about it or worrying about a show and they're just like being themselves and being funny um i think there was such a great in, in the group that i got to teach in liverpool there was such a wide range of different people that I think that's what made it so interesting to me was each each little bit I got of each person was fascinating. Um, there was only like a couple like script pitches, even though that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> Some people still <laughs> did, and I would say in those. So I don't know if this was just the per the people or the overall comedic style. Um, very word word based humor in those ones. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. One thing I noticed about my own improv mm. when I've been doing it online is how much I draw on pop culture references. But yeah. then when you're doing that internationally, there's so much stuff that falls flat because people just don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was it's yeah, I bet that does come up more when people don't have an international teacher. Um, so I feel like people probably know, like, mm, probably gonna keep. <laughs> um, but that was like one of the first lessons at Boom. So I worked at Boom Chicago in Amsterdam 15 years ago. Um, and that was like the first thing that America because we would get like brought over to do shows for Dutch and international audiences. And the first thing they said was like, it, your pop cult, your references will not work here. And I was like, thank 
Goodness, because I have zero <laughs> So uh, my transition was very easy, which I also think is why I like and do so well internationally, like relatively, is like, I don't normally play with those. So it's not like a handicap for me. I'm just like, oh, thank goodness. All that stuff is off the table. What exists here? Um, awesome. Yeah. And with the, the travel that you've done and the places that you've worked, have accents ever been a barrier? Have you ever sort of struggled to understand, particularly in the UK, where you can go just up the road and people have got a completely different sounding accent? Yeah, uh, I think that's the weirdest part about like, so when I was in Scotland or even um, in Liverpool, that culture shock is a totally different flavor. Cause like when you're in Italy, you know, or, or me, like when an American is in Italy and it's me, I'm like, I know they're speaking a different language. I know there's going to be cultural differences. There's some weird cognitive dissonance when you're talking to someone and they're speaking the same language where you're like, I got it. So when stuff is weird, it's even weirder. Um, I, like, at least that's been my experience over the last couple of years. And there, I will say, because of the space that we were in when we were rehearsing, I was having trouble with the accents when I was in Liverpool. And I was shocked at how much. <laughs> like, there were several times where I was like, can you um, say that again? Or like looking around to other people to be like, is it? is it me or is it like a, a sound issue so like definitely i noticed that this time especially since it was about like instead of just improvisation which like you create and it disappears yeah because it was like we were going to recreate and and like retry this stuff there were moments where i was like i have no idea what people are saying oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and i think it's difficult as well because not only are the accents different like from sort of from town to town within those towns there's about five different versions of the one accent so you go you go to one end of liverpool and it's a bit softer yeah. then you go a bit north and then it's it's harder depends where you are yeah and then if you've got a cacophony of all of these different accents if you're not like used to it together yeah, yeah. Well, and that was like the part two where um in my so like in my youth, I was like, I'm very good at accents or like hearing them. And then in this one, especially like the bleed of them of like not being able to tell the difference within a group of people where the variations was or being like, I think this. OK, I think which uh, uh. <laughs> is so weird. It was so weird. It was cool. I was in <laughs> I was in an online session recently and there was someone from LCI in the session and there was a guy from Norway in the mm. session and the Norwegian guy at one point he just had to sort of say I'm sorry I don't understand what she's saying <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard because you yeah you're like uh is it if it's just me I don't want to like stop anyone but also especially as a teacher it's like I do kind of have to know what people are saying <laughs> <laughs> see I I guess I count myself quite fortunate to have a very neutral accent. I yeah. don't have a, an accent where you can necessarily guess where I'm from. Mm, that's true. It's like, yeah, that you got the, the, I hear general British. Although the thing is, I love, I love the accents and I love, especially like the harder ones of like, the like, yeah, I mean, I love all accents because I'm American and I'm very much that American, but like, 
if you can just listen to someone talk long enough, you can usually get it. It's just when it's like, yeah, that cacophony or that feeling of overwhelm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm actually Welsh, but I, I don't sound. Ah, yeah. I don't sound Welsh necessarily. Why is, do you, why is that? I think it's just because of where I live in Wales. I live very close to the English border to Chester and lots of people around here don't have the Welsh accent. The The more the more into Wales you go, like the Welsher it gets. <laughs> Makes sense. I, I wish I did speak uh, or sound Welsh because yeah. I'm a proud Welshman. But at the same time, I like having a neutral voice because I can do lots of accents and it, it's, it's not a struggle. Sly. Well, I used to get, um, so I'm from California. I grew up in California, but I was in Chicago. And when I was auditioning a lot for commercials in Chicago, I would, people would bring me in because they're like, oh, such a great Midwestern. <laughs> And I was like, I think I have a California. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, do you have, I wonder, do you see a difference in humor between, I mean, it's like such a general, like, I guess Liverpool specifically or the UK and, and the US. Do you, do you notice a difference in comedic oh, style? I think there's a massive difference between British humor and American humor. Do you think British is more dry or what do you... Yeah, I think British humour, in many ways, is, is more subtle, hmm, yeah, more tongue in cheek. I think yeah. American humour, it kind of has, to, it's a bit more on the nose. Kind of has to explain itself as to why it's funny, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas there's, I think, one thing I love about British humour is something that doesn't exist in America and it's pantomime and pantomime humor. I I love that. Oh, here's a joke, which is funny for the children for one reason, can, but it's yeah, funny, funny for, for the, the parents for another reason. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I think it depends too, like on what school people come from or like where they're performing. Cause there's like, I think what I love about at least when I'm thinking of like British humor and like television wise, is like there's a darkness to it or like a realness to it that sometimes in more broad American shows you won't see, right? It's like we're, yeah. we're going for the laugh out loud, whereas <laughs> like British is going for the, like the slow roll, maybe. I think there's a, like a less is more thing in Britain mm -hmm. as well. So like a TV series here, you're lucky if you get to 10 episodes but yeah. like a show in america you'll have like oh yeah we'll do 15 episodes and we'll have a mid-season break and we'll do 15 more episodes <laughs> it just, it's just like this this train of of shows that just keep coming but in the uk it's not really the case mm. e even if it is a specific like a sitcom or like a sketch show or something it's very much a less is more kind of oh, approach yeah. and also the the way that the British people do things is very different to America. So in America, okay, we're going to have a TV show. Great. Let's get like 30 writers on it. Let's make it a big thing. But mm. the British people are more protective. That's why I think there's oh, less because if you're writing a sitcom or a, a TV show here, you don't bring in a massive team of writers. Whoever is writing it, they take ownership of it. And, and it's very rare that they let people in. So let's say you and I were writing a sitcom. We wouldn't, we wouldn't bring in loads of writers. It would just be our job. 
And that's why you'd only get like six to eight episodes. Yeah. Well, I wonder if that's more industry then, because that's like what you're is, is like big shows in like L.A., but like on the smaller stuff or the more online stuff, or I'm even thinking like um, Tim Robinson doing um, his Netflix show, like those are smaller, smaller things or smaller teams. So they retain a little bit more of the ownership, which it sounds like in Britain is true. Like you retain more of like the care and the ownership. So maybe yeah. you're doing the show that you set out to do and it's not turning into this like bigger industrial or this bigger like system that then it's like the way we started over here. That's kind of fascinating. Yeah. And something you said earlier about you getting into improv young mm -hmm. is something I want to come back to as well, because it's not that easy to get into improv when you're young here. There isn't a massive mm -hmm. scene, but my fiance has set up something in our area to deliver improv for teens. And I've already seen the impact that it's had on their lives. Now I'm a primary school teacher. <sighs> so, you know, I, I love, I, I've worked with children and worked, I used to run a youth group where we put a pantomime on every year, did that for like seven years. And I've worked a lot with uh, youth and dance, drama, music. They've always been my yeah. things. And I've seen the impact that improvs had on these youngsters over the last year. And there was one lad or there is one lad and he was coming along to the sessions because he'd seen his older brother come to the, the adult stuff that my, uh, my partner Seki and I were running and he would sit and watch and he clearly liked it. And then he discovered, Oh, there's an opportunity for me to do it. Now this boy was not going to school. He was having major issues, anxiety issues, and he just completely pulled away from school. I couldn't get him to go to school. He's been doing improv for about six months and he's decided to go back to school and it's just had a massive impact on his, like his character, his personality, and he's coming out of himself again. And it's just been so great to watch that journey. Oh, that's so cool. That's incredible. It's, um, yeah, it just, yep. It's incredible. Um, before the pandemic, I would go back to Chicago every summer to teach in the summer camps at Second City. And there are two week sessions of kids. They they started doing them younger. So like five to 18 with their groups and then like would do improv and sketch or improv and clown. And it was the I loved it so much um, for every reason, but specifically because of that, because you get to see in this room kids get to play or, or come out of their shell or try something or be in a different space, especially than a school space than they're used to being in. Um, so yeah, it was like, I had figured out like this per my perfect life before the pandemic where I go for like two months and get to teach every day to kids. And I was like, this is, yeah, the soul filling thing. Yeah. And I've just, so for about the last 16, 17 years, I have offered dance as like an extracurricular mm -hmm. activity in, in the schools that I work in. And I was thinking about running the club again this year, but then I thought, actually, just dance again. Like there's only so <laughs> many, there's only so many ideas I can have like in terms of choreography and stuff. Right, right. And then I thought, actually, 
I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it from dance club. I'm going to run expressive arts club because then it gives me the scope to still do some dance. I can do some singing and stuff, but I can also uh, focus on uh, some improv. So I decided that I'm going to start with improv. So I I ran my first session for the eight-year-olds last week and it was it was great like they really loved it and it was just it was interesting to see how like an eight-year-old approaches it compared to when I've been doing it with like first-time adults oh yeah in some ways there's actually many similarities because they'll do the same things (laughs) they want they just want to ask questions all the time Yeah, and the idea of what I already know stuff like I already know this person, but we've only just met. I need to introduce myself, (laughs) and also the fact that oh, my trail of thought's gone there. So they do some of the same things and probably some different. Oh yeah. So then I will step in and Mm. I'll give them some examples. Oh, you know, you you could do this or or you could do that, and then it's like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it, and then they literally just. (laughs) copy your ideas <laughs> you're like no, no no don't just copy it exactly just take the idea <laughs> uh, but then by the end of the session uh we we got there and then we're gonna build on that next week so they're super excited so it, yeah it, it was really fun yeah i love to pairing it with dance or with movement because i feel like that's such a like being yeah connected to your body um, for everyone, especially for adults, actually, I was going to say, especially for kids, kids are usually a little bit more connected to their bodies. <laughs> um, but like that, like idea of like movement and play and improvisation too, so that like the pressure is off the words and back in that, that spirit. I find like, depending on the age group, like the younger kids have an easier time, like just creating, cause they're still in that spirit. I feel like a lot of what we do perhaps when we teach adults, especially in like um, more like corporate settings is we're just trying to remind people what it was like to play or what it was like to not worry about being wrong or to try something or to be able to like fail or feel silly in a setting where that was not going to turn into an attack on you. Yeah. <laughs> like, right, is like, yeah, what is what does that feel like? And also what's stopping us from doing that? Because it's a lot of really good protective stuff that we've gained and a lot of like armor that we've put on to exist in society. So like, how do we feel if we start taking some of that off in this space where we can create stuff together? Yeah. And my, my fiance, Seki, mm-hmm. uh, over the summer, sort of branched out. So I said, she started this community interest company. And the idea was that they were going to work with with um, teenagers. And that, mm-hmm. was, that was started off. But then a, a complete sort of accident. She ended up running sessions for Ukrainian refugees because the local area has been taking loads of Ukrainian refugees in. And she is TEFL trained. So she's she's trained in teaching English as a foreign language. So she's been able to mix that with improv and and she's been teaching basically living skills to the Ukrainians. So instead of them just sitting there learning a language, it's putting them in situations where, okay, you want to learn how to get on a bus? Well, let's let's actually learn how to get on a bus and it's using improv techniques instead of just sitting in a room. 
That's how it started um, in Chicago, you know, like the history of Viola Spolin and Neva Boyd. It started as like these these play spaces for immigrants, for people in Chicago. Um, and so that makes total sense and is like the perfect, yeah, the perfect thing is like, yeah, you're in this place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it just kind of makes it. It's beautiful more real so that's been awesome but then because she's this new community interest company she got invited to this day where all the local community interest companies were sort of getting together to show each other what they do and there and she was asked if she could run an improv session for everyone but when it came to that she said most people just left and said (laughs) and said, we'll come back when this is done. We're not very funny, blah, 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 blah. So they just thought they have to be funny instantly. And the ones that did stay, and particularly the guy that had set the day up, absolutely loved the session. And then he said to her, I realize I marketed you wrong. Yeah. And I, I think I scared people off in the way that I marketed you. So he said, when we do this again, please, will you come back and we'll do it completely differently and we'll do it in a way that it won't scare people off like before they've even started. Well, it's so different. I mean, I've had this come up a lot on this trip of like when you have buy-in versus when you don't, when you are teaching to corp- corporate entities or corporations versus theater companies versus kids, like all of that context setting is different depending on who you're teaching. And again, like getting in them in the room is like I think when we were teaching at UFC or any, like when we're teaching anyone who is outside of the arts, that's one of the first things you say in that, in that first circle is like, if you came here thinking you have like that, this is stand up or you have to be funny, you can let that go. That's not what this is about. And you're still going to have people who are like, but I'm hilarious. And you're like, that's great. As long as you're listening, (laughs) but that's like a huge part of like the first part of those workshops where it is like, you are yeah you you don't know what this is so you're either not interested or you're scared or you're defensive or you're you know like x y or z so like how can we open ourselves up to this experience that we're actually having versus what we thought we were going to have when we came in the room sometimes that's the hardest part and the worthiest work as a teacher is realizing like oh we're starting we have to start somewhere different cool yeah yeah, that's so cool. Oh, I love that she's doing that work. I can't wait to hear more about it. Yeah, it's it's really rewarding as well. Like she, she comes home very fulfilled from it. Yeah, <laughs> that's when you're like, yes, that's what this is. <laughs> like, what is improv? And there's uh, every person you ask or every person who does it will have a slightly different perspective and there's space for all of them. And it's moments for me when you hear stuff like that that's happening. You're like, that's what it is. Like. At, at its best, that's what it is. Well, how would you answer that question? What is improv? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I walked myself into that. <laughs> um, improv, to me, improv is creating something that with, with at least someone else that wouldn't have existed before. So whether it's the audience or your partner or both, you're creating something together that you can't do alone. So I think that's at its most base what it is to me what i what i value about it changes i think um as it should i've been doing it for 21 years i think that should probably (laughs) (laughs) um or what i focus on um there's like a great book about playing guitar 
um, that I'll look up the name to, like I said, no references. <laughs> um, but it's basically like in music he's talking about, but I think it's the same in improv. It's find what you like, find what's important to you and practice that. And so I think that's what I keep coming back to in moments where I'm, where I get lost or I'm not sure that always is recentering of like this thing that I've done for so long and it has evolved in so many different ways. And I've gotten to play in so many different ways and learn in so many different ways. What do I value about it right now? So where do I put my focus on when I'm doing it now or with this group? Is there something that you're particularly known for like when when you're in scenes like me for example people know that i love puns so people, <laughs> people are always expecting a pun to come out in a scene oh <laughs> is there something is there something that you're particularly known for um i feel like you'd have to ask my scene partners i would <laughs> say i think mischief so defying expectations might be the like the most consistent <laughs> consistently consistent thing um energy and physicality i think usually is what i tend to be known for um but i yeah i i think just like the sense of mischief that i play with so like i at my best i always want my scene partner to have a really good time that's at my best so it's not all but like at my best, I want my scene partner to have a good time, but I also want to surprise them and I really want to surprise myself. So like, I think that's like the center that I'm generally playing from is um, I got to play with an old friend from Chicago in at the Robin Hood Festival. And usually when I'm over here, I don't really get to play with other people that I've played with for years and years and years. Yeah. So it was really i mean i love playing with everyone but it was really kind of nice to be able to play with him because i could like just scream at him in a scene because i know that he loves it <laughs> and i never get to do it <laughs> and so we got to have that like that push and pull of like you still okay you still surprised you still having a good time um and what i love it's matt higby who's great but what I love about him is his brain or the way he sees improv is very like patterns and games. Um, and we played on a team called Chaos Theory um, with a lot of really great Chicago folks. Um, and it was kind of that like finding the pattern in the chaos, but also letting the chaos play. And I feel like we are those two things. He's theory and I'm chaos. And so <laughs> together we get to like navigate and and try not to like try to try to set up and break in equal in equal measure. Awesome. Yeah. So you're currently writing, is that correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you want to talk a bit about what it is that you're writing? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, so I am I have wanted to write a book for a very long time. Um, and so I finally put a fundraiser together. <laughs> to basically push accountability and put it out in the world and be like, I'm going to do this and there's going to be an end date to it. <laughs> um, so what I'm working on is a book that I hope will be kind of like three parts. It'll be a little bit of like stuff you can do. So like silly things, um, some writing prompts, that kind of thing, a little bit of um, memoir. So just of like travels and improv and kind of my life over the past 21 years. Um, and then um, a little bit of my my teaching or my improv thoughts, because um, I'd like to like 
really zero in on them and put them together um, in a in a readable in a fun and readable way. So <laughs> I, like I'm hoping that it'll be like a very readable book that is also a little bit messy, if that makes sense. Awesome. And what is the time frame you've given yourself to write it? I give myself one year. Um, so I am 39. I just turned 39 in September. And so I basically was like, by 40, I want to, I want this, this book written. Awesome. Um, so yeah. So that's what I'm focusing on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also 39, by the way. Oh my gosh. When's your birthday? My birthday's in May. Okay. So you're, so uh, when you, yeah, turn 40, let me know how it is. So I know it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would have a book writing credit to my name by the time I'm 40 because I'm 20,000 words into a book but I don't think I don't think it's going to be ready by the time I'm 40. Well you sound like you're doing a lot of very cool and worthy things so <laughs> I imagine there might be a reason. Can I ask what your book is? Um, yeah it's it's like historical fiction. Ooh may I ask like a little bit more? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you, can say no. you can say no, 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 I can tell you about it. I'll okay. tell you how it came about. Okay. So the, the way it came about was in 2014, which is when I first had the idea. Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier the dance that I've done with children. So in Wales, there's this really great national competition called the Earth I Steadfard. And every year, children from any school in Wales can enter competition and it starts off local level and then it goes county level and if you go beyond county level you get to the nationals and you can get on telly and it's all televised on the Welsh language channel S4C and one of my main types of dance is creative dance which is basically a movement piece telling a story to music and in 2014, the theme was given. I can't remember what the theme was, but that's how it would work. You'd get given a theme and then you have to create like a four minute dance routine around it. Mm -hmm. You have to find all the music. I would edit all the music myself and, and create the wow. story through music first. So I'm like, if you can close your eyes and sort of imagine the story through the music, then it makes it easier to create the dance to it. Wow. So I would sort all the music, but finding the story is always the first sort of hurdle. Mm -hmm. And the general rule for it is you base it on some kind of Welsh myth or legend, because that's what the judges like. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's like, that's what I was taught when I was sort of getting into it all. It's like, just always base it on some kind of Welsh myth or legend. So that year, the theme was given as I said I can't remember what the theme was but I I looked and I looked and I looked and I just couldn't find a story anywhere but I thought I've been doing these dances for years I know I know how it should flow I know it needs to move from this beat to that beat to blah 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 blah, blah. so I thought I'll just write my own Welsh legend I mean it's a legend right it, it, it doesn't have to be real so I came up with what I thought a dance needed to hit all those notes and I created like the story around that and then the member of staff that I was working with so I used to work with someone and then she was off for quite a bit of time for personal reasons so I fully took on all the dance stuff while she was away and then 
she was coming back and I wanted to make sure she was included. So I was um, like running everything past her. And I said, oh, this is the story that I found. So I didn't tell her I wrote it. I gave her the the basic, just the outline of the story is like 200 words or whatever. And she read it and she was like, oh my God, this is really good. I've never heard this one before. Like, how have I not heard this story before? And I said, oh, so you think it's really good for the dance? She said, yeah, it's a great story. I was like, oh, good, because it's not a uh, it's not a story that I found. I actually wrote it. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, so we got past that. And basically that was what sparked my idea for the story. So it was a dance. It was like a four minute dance routine, like 200 words. And I sat on it for a while after that. And it it was just there. And then I was like, I I think it's, I think it's an actual story. I I should be trying to expand it because even right at the start, I researched all the character names. I based it on a real place in Wales. So I already had like a lot of the research from like I actually wrote the initial 200 words in like 20 minutes I was like that's what the dance needs to be and then I went and and found names and I was like oh that character should be called that for that reason so I've got all that to build it on and but yeah I'm super busy all the time yeah and the problem is when you're the more you get into a book every time you come back to it you have to (laughs) you have to read through it all to get it to get your head back in into that to make sure you're not missing anything out Um, yeah and I don't know if you found this but there there's a great podcast um writing excuses that I enjoy very much and they're like every time you come back you're also a different person (laughs) and so that's like kind of a fascinating aspect of like leaving something to come back to but it is interesting in that the longer you leave it the more the the story changes because every time you come back to it you are a different person there's things that have happened in what i've written that no way would have happened earlier on because yeah life has given me loads of more ideas yeah that's so cool i have you ever done like i mean you're probably too busy to do this but i recently started doing body doubling with my friend tim have you heard it's like an adhd um hack so it's like having someone in the room with you or we do it online so it's literally like we'll get on a call and we'll both be like what are you working on great what are you working on great i'll see you at the hour and then we'll we'll write and we've been doing it for a week now and with just like two hours each day it's been i mean for me like quite a a shocking (laughs) experience (laughs) because i've certainly written more in the last week than I did all three weeks before then of just that like light bit of account accountability and he's very he's very cool because he he's just like I don't have to like we don't really check each other's stuff it literally is just like we're both here great okay bye (laughs) so it just forces you into that time yeah that's good yeah put that just put that like somewhere um, because I think the, the hardest thing about what I'm trying to write is yeah. I know how it ends and that's the thing and I'm super excited because I wrote the dance I, I know yeah. what the basic story you know the whole, is which is like oh ugh, and out you've like the whole outline it's so yeah cool. and I know that's an issue for lots of writers like sort yeah. of they're discovering it as they go along but for me the issue is I'm just so excited about the end how do I how do I build <laughs> yeah. it to a point and 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 take it sideways more instead of just getting straight there because I, I want people to go on the adventure and oh, not yeah. just get to the end so that's the struggle I've got 
Well, I feel like that's sec- that's your second draft struggle. Your first draft struggle is just get the draft. Yeah, that's what people <laughs> tell me. But I, I, am, I mean, but also if you know yourself, you might also know that like the only way you can write it is the way that you can write it. Um, that's and like, the thing. Yeah, like you said too, which was super inspiring, and I have to like write that down to remember it. Is like if you had popped this out, whatever six years ago it wouldn't be the same story and how beautiful that it's unfolding the way that it is and there's no like what is the rush yeah yeah and as a songwriter like when i write songs Mm. i i write it see i i'm i guess i'm a bit of a perfectionist i'm not one that likes to go back and change it so as i write it i want it to be pretty much as perfect as it can be as I'm writing it. I don't want to do a draft, then change it, then a draft, then change it. I want it to be sort of this complete piece as I write it, because that's how I write songs. To me, to me, a song is a story. I'm not one of those people that writes necessarily from personal feelings. Mm -hmm. I I get the idea. A song, to me, a song generally writes itself. The ideas come into my head. I am, I am the conduit for the ideas. I'll write them all down and then it's done. And I will go and record it when I was, into that more I don't really do much of the recording these days (laughs) but when I was at the height of my music stuff it was the idea would come to me I would write it down I would go and record it right away and I was like and that's it I'm not going to go back and change that that's that's what the song wanted to be so that's what the song is is. oh I love that I think too like that is just such a good like oh yeah we all have such different processes and that's pretty okay like you can try them all on but when you know especially with creativity, if you know the way you like to create, that process is part of it. So like, yeah, why mess with it? That's yeah. so cool. it's, it's kind of formu- formulaic. You need to find the formula that works for you when it comes to being creative. Mm-hmm. Or for me, you just have to keep like breaking formulas. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, my, just constantly reinvent the wheel. That's how we all like doing it, right? <laughs> Oh, so cool. So the book is your main focus right now? Yes. Yeah, it is. That is. I'm like, is that true? Yeah, I get to do one more. Um, I'm teaching with the Maydays in October. Um, and then my other main focus is just getting back to the States to see my nieces and nephews. Awesome. <laughs> it's like my other main focus. <laughs> so how, if people want to take a course with you, they can through the Maydays. Yeah. Um, no, that's oh. just, I'm, I'm teaching at their retreat. So if oh, they're, okay. if, I don't know if their spots open, but yeah, if people are free in October, that would be great. Cause that'll be the last time I'm in the UK for a while, I think. Um, but on my website, yes, I'll usually post. And I actually do a lot of posting on my Instagram and Facebook for when I teach courses online. Um, so that's usually, yeah, Facebook and Instagram is the most consistent. My website should be, but it's not. <laughs> it's it's a lot harder to keep a website up to date than it is a social media profile, right? I uh, that's what I found. I like yeah, I finally like redid my website, but I have feedback that I still haven't gotten like I still haven't gone in. So in whatever June, I redid my website. And then I'm, I've I've had feedback for over a month that I'm still waiting to implement. So, yep, social media is way easier. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people find you on social media? 
Um, my uh, my name is super search searchable. So I'm Gail Sudik. Um, it's the proactive pessimist on Instagram, and it's my face. And then Facebook is my name, Andiel Sudik, which looks like Andel, so A-N-D-E-L. Which yeah. is the mistake I made earlier. It's impossible. <laughs> it's, it, they're, oh, in the different countries I've been, most people have um, done more with me um, through email. And sometimes my accent mark isn't there. So my name is impossible. And we, ah. we all, it's, it's fine. Just I feel your pain, though, because a lot of people don't know that my name is Ian. Yeah, I will say I uh, yeah, especially looking at it through email, I got less confident. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's Ian, but the more it came up, the more I started saying it how I would say it phonetically, and I was like, don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, and lots of people think that my I at the beginning is an L. Lots of people call me Lane. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> you look like Elaine. I could I could say Elaine. <laughs> In fact, I have I have this plaque in my classroom, and it it says to Mr. Lane Jones, and it the year that it's presented to me is twenty seventy four, which <laughs> which causes all sorts of uh, questions from the children, and it's because yeah. it, it was a cultural exchange I set up a few years ago where I went to Nepal, but Nepal runs on a different calendar to the rest of the world, so. Oh. In the Nepalese calendar, when I went, it was 2074. <laughs> oh so I have this award that was awarded to me from the future. It's crazy. That is very cool. Congratulations, Lane. <laughs> <laughs> and you said, is, is it first graders that you teach? Oh, or... I, I don't know what the American grade is. Oh, I teach, I, I currently teach eight to nine year olds. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's like maybe second or third to us. I don't know. So I've just moved to that. I was teaching nine to 10 year olds for the last seven years. So I've just gone down a grade. Ooh, do you like it? That's yes. Yes, I do. I was like, that's I, not a good question to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do. I like, good. I like how keen they are. I like how, um, they don't have the inhibitions that they start to get when they're a bit older. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in, I'm enjoying that. They get my jokes less. <laughs> Oh yeah, different. It's a different humor. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I'm training them, training them to understand the art of of wordplay and puns. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> or you could just go American and just spell it off. <laughs> the thing about children that I do like is their honesty as well. So if I if I tell them a joke and they get it, they'll just say, "That's not funny, sir." <sighs> <laughs> that is i feel like that uh, teaching summer camps or kids in general keeps me honest in the best way like there was one group like they had just turned it was like probably 12 year olds that i was teaching stand up to and this little girl just tore me to pieces in her stand-up act like she basically <laughs> just read me in front of the rest of the class i was like you know what that was the assignment you're fine <laughs> <laughs> And I've I've got one lad who he sort of makes it very clear that he doesn't think I'm I'm funny. <laughs> and like when I do uh, tell a joke or do something that makes the other children laugh, he's always like, "No, it didn't make me laugh, sir." And then <laughs> the other day, I I said something and he laughed and he said, 
Nice one, sir. That's that's officially the second time you've made me laugh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> He's going to make you work harder. He's going to elevate your game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Uh, right then. Well, I'm going to say thank you very much. We're going to bring it to a close. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. Thanks. You too. Thank you so much. I'm glad we got to connect. Well, thank you so much to Andy L. That was an incredible chat. I really loved this opportunity to, to get to know her and to just hear her story. And I think as I was talking to her, it was very clear to me just how passionate she is about improv. And also I could just sense how creative she is as a person. So she's got this great aura about her which I think I was instantly feeding off. I was like, wow, I've got my creative juices flowing just from talking to her because I was uh, led down a path where we, we started to talk about my music for a bit, we started to talk about my writing for a bit, and I've come away with this, this great hunger to to go and be creative again. I, and I think it's because as a teacher, I, I spend so much time helping others to find their creative side and be creative that sometimes it can get a little lost that your self isn't necessarily um, being as creative but I guess I am always being creative because I do a lot of improv you know I do so much improv and to the point where maybe that's why I'm not as creative in other areas as I should be because I'm giving so much time to improv but improv's awesome and I love it and it makes me very happy so there is that Ah, well, maybe I should be having this conversation with myself and not with you guys. But that was awesome, you know? And the L, there she is. She's sat in Portugal. She's trying to write a book. Go check out her website. Go check out her social media things. If you can, you know, add to her, her funds while she's doing that, then that'd be awesome. If you can try and take a class with her, if you follow her on social media, see when she might be doing a class near you. What a wealth of experience, you know? to have been doing it for as long as she's been doing it and still be so young she's still got so many years ahead of her to to give her time and experience to others and to keep learning and developing and just enjoying it isn't it great when someone just enjoys what they do for a living so much and that was clear she, she clearly she lives improv and still after all this time has so much love for it and I just think that is it, it's, it's the cliche you know do what you love and you won't work a day in your life and she just seems like that's what she's doing she's doing what she loves and yeah she's not working she's just living and, and she's loving it so maybe we should all try and be a little bit more Andy L in our lives now, if you're interested in getting into improv or already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene, then all the info you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk. You can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Live Comedy Improv. This show has its own Facebook page as well, the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast. Just search for it on Facebook, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a share, do whatever you can. And if you are a member of the LCI community and you'd like to be a guest on the show, then please get in touch with me or with Emma Bird and we'll make arrangements as soon as possible. 
This show is available on Apple and Spotify. So please, if you are listening on either of those platforms, give us a five-star rating. Write us a positive review. It's little things like that that help get our name out there. If you've listened to this point of the show, then, you know, chances are you enjoyed it. So if you can just go and do that little that little thing for us, then I would really appreciate it. And um, hopefully it'll put a smile on your face as well because you're doing something good. If you want to check me out on social media, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, and TikTok. Yeah, they're the ones. Just search for at Ian Luke Jones, not Lane Luke Jones, as was discussed on the show there. It's Ian Luke Jones, and you'll find all things me on all of those platforms. Um, So yeah, come say hi there. And that is pretty much it. I just want to say a massive thanks again to Andy L., I really love that chat and I hope that you all enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed actually taking part in that conversation. Don't forget to come back at the same time next time for another fantastic guest. And that brings us to the end of today's show. But before I go, here, as always, are some words that are wise, wise, wise. Always remember, whatever the situation, to treat life like improv. And yes, and...